Okay, well, let's pray. Dear Father, we pray that you would um, be with us this morning. Let us see ourselves clearly and uh, our own love for the world and help us to be humble and repent of those things. Help us to honor your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, good morning. So last week, we... uh, We looked at this question, how can I enjoy the world without being worldly, right? And today, we're going to deal with the flip side of that, which is what is worldliness and how can I avoid it? And so, yeah, last week, we began with this uh, verse from 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so we're gonna, the first half this morning, we're gonna deal with this question of what is worldliness in the first place, okay? Uh, What is worldliness? So what does that mean? Do not love the world nor the things in the world. And last week we looked at this, these kinds of questions. Does that mean that I should avoid pleasure? Does that mean that I should treat my body harshly? Does that mean I should feel guilty for every enjoyment in this life? And what's the answer to that biblically? No. So as we saw last week, God himself, God himself in his goodness, in his mercy, his kindness, his generosity, his wisdom made the physical world, right? He made this world and he made it and us in such a way that we are able to enjoy it, that we should enjoy it. That's literally what it said. He he made all of these things for us to enjoy, okay? And if you're not enjoying them, then you're, you're missing something. So he made us and the world in such a way that we are able to enjoy the world and that the physical world, remember, is very good. So we know that the answer to all of those questions is no. And we saw that we can misuse God's good gifts in either one of two ways. We can demonize them, remember? Um, We can call the physical world evil, or we can forbid good things, like marriage, like physical pleasure, like food. And as we saw in 1 Timothy 4, that is a doctrine taught by demons, right? That, That idea that the physical world is bad and therefore physical pleasure is bad, is a doctrine of demons. That's what the Apostle Paul says. And as we saw in Colossians 2 last week, that kind of harsh treatment of the body, that bad, the, the mindset that says the body is bad, and stuff is bad, and, and pleasure is bad, Colossians 2 says that practice can look like wisdom. Ooh, look at him. He's a, you know, he sits on a, on a post in the desert for 15 years. He must be really godly. All right, this is the kind of thing that happened in church history by, in, with this kind of mindset. All right, but it, what the Colossians 2 says is that practice can look wise, can look godly, but it ultimately is foolish because it, is of no value against fleshly indulgence. All right, sitting on a, on a pole in the desert. You all know what I'm talking about? 
Yeah, he's this monk. And then it became a movement, right? Where they would sit literally on a little platform on the top of a pole in the desert. Sounds like a non-movement, yeah. What do you think? Huh? Uh, The opinion is mixed. So, you can demonize stuff, right? It's evil. Or you can, and and in doing that, that means the evil is not inside me, it's outside of me, okay? And Christians are really good at this, even to this day. The evil is in the stuff outside of me, or the people outside of me, but it's not me. And so if I'm gonna be holy, I just have to not be around those kinds of people, and that makes me holy somehow. Okay, that's not true. So we can demonize them, or instead of demonizing God's good gifts, we can idolize them, which is the opposite, Uh, fatal error, right? So we can worship our appetites, worship our belly, as Paul says in Philippians. And both are evil. Either demonizing or idolizing the physical world are both evil because both of them denigrate God. Either by, by denigrating his good gifts and saying he's evil for making them, or by denigrating him directly by making him less than his own creation, worshiping the creature rather than the creator. Both of those are are evil. Both of those are demonic. Both attack God, directly or indirectly. Okay, so that was last week. Now, that leads us to another question. If we are supposed to enjoy God's good gifts in the world, then what is worldliness? What is worldliness? How can I know if I'm being worldly? How can I avoid being worldly? And again, this is the passage we looked at last week. The fuller passage, 15 to 17 in 1 John 2. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Now, we're gonna come back to that and look at this closely in just a minute, these verses. But let's, uh, he says, do not love the world. All right? So loving the world is what we would call worldliness. But we still don't quite know what that is. So we'll come back to this. Let's fill out this picture a little bit. Here's what the Apostle Paul says regarding our relationship with the world. Romans 12, one to two. Therefore I urge you brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship and do not be conformed to this world, right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So do not be conformed to this world. John says, do not love the world. The apostle Paul says, don't be conformed to the world. Look what James says about our relationship to the world. James 4.4, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He uses this word adulteresses, and in the context of James 4, he's not really talking about physical, literal, man-woman adultery here. He's talking about um, idolatry, right? In other words, for a Christian to claim to be a Christian and at the same time have this side thing with the world, right? That's like, I, that's like adultery because we have one master. So friendship the world, with the world is hostility toward God. So worldliness, right, is loving the world. First John 2, it's being conformed to this world, Romans 12. It is being a friend of the world, James 4. Now, what's the next question you have to ask? What is the world? What does that even mean? And so, okay, not as, not as simple as, as you think. What is the world? There's at least four different um, meanings of the word world in the New Testament. And you gotta be careful or else you're gonna get really confused about what it means. So it can mean the physical creation, right? So the world. God made the world and everything in it. The Lord who made the world and everything in it. Um, the, Paul says in Acts 17 when he's preaching, the one who made the world and everything, that's the physical world, the universe, the, the cosmos. That's actually the word in Greek for world is cosmos, okay? And the world is good, right. So the physical world, it can mean the physical creation. The world, the word world can also mean mankind. So not the, not the stuff so much, but the people in it, okay? God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes and so on. It can mean something like an age, all right? So this world and the world to come or this age and the age to come, it gets used that way in, in lots of places. And it can mean this the comprehensive manner of life of all who are opposed to God. And that's, that's the definition that we need to think about when we think about worldliness. Or when, it, when we think about do not love the world, or don't be conformed to this world, or don't be a friend of the world, right? It's this comprehensive manner of life of all who are opposed to God. The habits, the customs, the opinions, the assumptions, the practices, the tastes, the goals of, er of everyone who rejects the lordship of Jesus Christ. The world, some have used this term, uh, the term system, when they're talking about the world in this sense, all right? The world is the system that operates sometimes in hostility to God, sometimes in apathy to God, which is saying the same thing. You can't operate in apathy to God without being hostile to God, okay? So all the stuff, all the ways of thinking, the world is every way of thinking, believing, and living that is godless, either by being directly opposed to God or just not caring. Both are godless. One writer uh, says this, worldliness is, he says, that system of values, listen to this, worldliness is that system of values in any given age which has at its center our fallen, fallen human perspective, 
which displaces God and his truth from the world. So it acts as if God and his truth either don't exist at all or have no, no bearing, right? Displaces God and his truth from the world and which makes sin look normal and righteousness seem strange. Think of that. It's a system that takes God out of the picture and makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. He says, it thus gives great plausibility to what is morally wrong, and for that reason makes what is wrong seem normal. All right, so this, is, this isn't anything new. This has always happened. The Old Testament talks about the woe to those who uh, make uh, the bitter sweet and the sweet bitter, who call the bitter sweet the, bitter, the sweet bitter, who call evil good and good, and good evil, flipping everything upside down, right? That's what worldliness does. It's what the world is. It's the system that makes evil look good and good look evil. Or evil look normal and righteousness look weird. And so when the Apostle John says, do not love the world, he's not talking about the physical creation. He's not saying, do not love uh, or enjoy food or puppy dogs, sunsets, pancakes, whatever, you know. He's not saying do not love people, obviously. What is he saying? When James says we must not be friends with the world, he's not saying you must, um, you have to be mean to your neighbor if he's not a Christian, right? The meaning of the word world that has a bearing on what we call worldliness is this, this, this comprehensive manner of life of all who are opposed to God. That's what he means when he says don't love the world. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't be friends with the world. Now, when I say the comprehensive manner of life of all who are opposed to God, right? The comprehensive manner of life of everyone who's opposed to God. What do I mean? Well, I don't just mean Satanists, you know, and um, militant atheists and prostitutes and drug lords and, you know, bad people like that. Right, oh yes, we're not worldly, so we keep away from those people, right? You can live an outwardly moral, respectable life and be opposed to God. I mean, the vast majority of the population of the world through history has, that's what it's been about. They have their morals. They have their outward righteousness and everything. And they're opposed to God. You can sit here every Sunday and be opposed to God. I can teach here every Sunday and be opposed to God. Your opposition to God can simply be indifference to God. You know what I mean by indifference? Who cares? This is just a, this kind of bland, flat, apathetic. This is, yeah, I know we go to church, but what else would I do on Sunday? I don't know. You know? Apathy, indifference. That is opposition to God. Jesus said, Luke eleven twenty three. 23, 
He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Uh, Apathy and indifference to God is, in fact, hostility to God. It's being opposed to him. And so that's what worldliness is. Worldliness is thinking like the world. Worldliness is being hostile to God or apathetic to God. It's buying into the philosophies, the kind of the framework, the presuppositions, the ideas underneath uh, the whole system, the way of thought of everyone who refuses to submit to God. And again, you can refuse to submit to God and look perfectly clean on the outside. It's loving what they love, hating what they hate. It's taking for granted the ideas and the norms of the majority culture today. It's being more influenced at a foundational level by unbelieving assumptions than by biblical assumptions. Does that make sense? And so let's look back at these verses in 1 John. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Let's break this down line by line. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. And so we know what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean... um, you know, butterflies, ice cream, and comfortable shoes. Fill in the blank, okay? It doesn't mean the stuff of the world. It doesn't mean the people of the, in the world, mankind. God so loved the world. So God is not breaking his own commandment here when he loves the world of mankind, you understand? So it doesn't mean men and women, it doesn't mean people. So do not love the world or the things in the world. Go on. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So there's a contrast between two loves, two objects of love, right? The world, you're either going to love the world or you're going to love the Father. And he puts it in such a way that you can't do both at the same time. It will be one or the other. If you love the world, you cannot love God the Father. If you love God the Father, you won't love the world. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. It's one or the other, right? Do not love the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father, the love for the Father is not in you. You can't love both. Now, but notice, who is he talking to here? Who is he writing to? Christians, okay? So yeah, It's impossible to love the world and to love God, and yet he's writing this to Christians. And so, you understand? This continues to be a struggle. The Apostle John writes in this very kind of black and white kind of way, and he says this kind of thing all the time. But we all know, since he's writing to Christians, that over and over and over again, he tells, you know, he's confident, yeah, I'm writing to the church, I know I'm writing to Christians. and yet he can say this kind of thing. But, in, but we all know that we love the world. But this is how serious it is. 
if you love the world and are happy with that and are, and are devoted to that and are, have no problem with that and this is your life, then you, the love of the Father is not in you. Okay, it's that black and white and yet we know all struggle with this. Why? What's his reasoning here? For all that is in the world, puppy dogs, um, you know, hot foot, no. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The lust of the flesh. Lust in this context here means craving, right? It means inordinate, it means a too big, inappropriate desire. That's what lust means. It's not always bad, but it usually is in, in, the, in the way that the Bible uses that word. The lust of the flesh is the craving for physical pleasures or things that are not yours to enjoy. Of course, when we think of lust of the flesh, we, we usually only think of two things, sex and money, maybe food. And that's true, all of those things are certainly the lust of the flesh, but it's much bigger than that. It's wanting things, even good things, or even good experiences in a way that is lawless. You can want good things in a bad way, or at the wrong time, or to the wrong degree, you understand? The lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes. This is um, an inappropriate or lawless desire for what is around me. And you can think about this in all kinds of different ways. What, you know, my appearance, uh, wanting to see things that I shouldn't see, wanting to be seen, all that kind of stuff. And the boastful pride of life. The boastful pride of life. That's our constant tendency to place our hope in our wealth and our possessions. When it says the boastful pride of life, that word life is often used not for like biology, but for the stuff that supports your life. Like money, clothes, houses, you know, food, possessions, all that stuff. So the boastful pride of it, to brag about how safe we are, how secure we are, how important we are, based on what we have. All of that, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, wanting to have things that aren't yours to have, wanting to experience things that aren't yours to experience, wanting to use things that aren't yours, wanting to be seen, wanting to boast about what you are and what you have and all of that stuff. What does he say? Uh, All that is in the world is not from the Father, but is from the world. He's not talking about the physical creation here because the physical creation is from the Father, right? He's talking about this twisting of it, this perverting of it. All of that is not from the Father, it's from the world. So these lusts and this boastful pride take all the good things that God made and that twists them and pervert them into bad things. The things are not bad, the lust is. The stuff is not bad, I am, you are. 
And he says, all that is in the world, all these lusts and pride that gives, lives as if there is no God, all of that is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away. And also it's lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. This is not saying the physical creation is passing away. That's not what he means by world here. This system of perverting the world is doomed because God will judge it. So all that is passing away, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. No wonder James says this, as we just saw a minute ago. Think about this in light of that, okay? You adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Friendship with the world means calling a truce between two systems that are diametrically opposed to each other. A system that's built on a love of self, self-indulgence, pride, boasting, and all that stuff, and ignoring the laws of God and doing whatever you want, that system, and the system of God, the love of God, the friendship with God. And so you can't, you can't play both sides. Friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There's that, that black and white, either or kind of thing again, right? You guys see this? You can't play both sides. Our Lord Jesus says this about himself and those who follow him. He says, if the world hates you, no surprise, right? You know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. There's a world, a a word, a word that we use, that we, no, I'm sorry. There's a word we don't use anymore. A worldling. You, have, you guys ever heard that word, worldling? It's an old word. A, a worldling is a son of the world, right? A child of the world, someone who has been uh, raised and nurtured and given birth to by the world. A worldling. And this is what he says. If you were of the world, if you were a worldling, the world would love you. And he's talking here to his, to his disciples. He says, of course the world doesn't love you. Why are you surprised at this? The world hates you, just like it hated me. If the world loves you, what does that say about you? It means you're of the world, Right? And yet, this is what we want so badly, isn't it? We want the world to love us, or at least to not hate us. You know, if we just have the world not hate us, and so we're gonna try to say things and be things and live in such a way that is flying under the radar of the hate of the world. Again, the Apostle John, do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. 
That's 1 John 3, 13, 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are of God. So we're godlings, not worldlings, right? Sons of God, not sons of the world. We know that we're of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So that whole system of thought and living comes from, is under the, the spell, you could say, of the evil one. This is why they're opposed. This is why you can't play both sides. This is life or death. So that's what worldliness is. I'll talk more about that at the end, but let's think about this question. How can we keep from being worldly? Well, first, uh, Romans 12, one and two, remember? Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves, your bodies, a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So think about this. The world, that system of values that leaves God out, puts man at the center, that system, that way of thinking and living, that set of assumptions that removes God and his truth from the world, from life, that way of thinking and living that makes sin look normal and righteousness seem weird, right? The world is constantly bearing down on you, constantly trying to push you into its mold. That's what that means. One way to think about that, don't be conformed to this world. Think of a cookie cutter. You conform the, the, the cookie dough to the, to the pattern of the, the dog or whatever it is, you know. Or you, you have a, a mold and you're pushing stuff into it so that it takes on the shape. That's what that means. Don't be conformed to this world. But the world is constantly bearing down on you, putting pressure on you, trying to squeeze you and push you into its mold, constantly trying to make you think and act and love and hate and worship like it does. Always, always, constant, constant pressure. It's like the atmospheric pressure of, that you can never escape, right? It's just constantly bearing down on us. No, you can't go anywhere. You can sit on a pole in the middle of the desert and not escape this. You can live in a cave, constantly pushing down on us. And so the Apostle Paul says, Don't, do not be conformed to this world. Don't let that happen to you. But what? What's the opposite of that? How do you, how do you not be conformed to the world? Well, I know. How about we all just, um, how about we drive uh, horse and buggies? Let's do that. That's the way to not be conformed to the world. Let's, let's paint our, our bumpers black. You, you don't know about the painting of the bumpers black. So you've got the Amish, the buggy, then you've got the Mennonite, some, some groups of Mennonites who drive cars, but you can't have chrome because that's worldly. So you paint the chrome black. Not worldly anymore, see? It wasn't that easy. So... It, is that what the Apostle Paul is getting at here when he says don't be conformed to the world? Don't, you know, so, so dress weird, uh, only buy, only go to Chick-fil-A. You know, uh, 
How do we understand John the Baptist? Oh, come on, that's, a, that's another question. You'd lost your chance. <laughs> Next week's the last week. <laughs> well, he wasn't as weird as you think he was, for one thing. But we'll, yeah. What does he say? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that's what he's, it's not about outward. You don't start with outward things. You start with inward things. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The battle against worldliness begins inside of you, not outside of you. Any kind of attempt to battle worldliness by starting with the outside just ends up with a different kind of worldliness. I can make myself right with God or acceptable or whatever by not wearing certain clothes or not driving certain cars or not playing cards or you know, going to the movies. You know that you're you know that you're being pressed into the mold of the world when you start thinking like the world, when you start loving what the world loves, hating what the world hates, when you start being ashamed of God's truth and start embracing as normal what is opposed to God. Whether that is gross immorality or sexual perversion or godless academic acclaim, right? Or simply the desire to live the good life without any thought for God and for his righteousness. Just, I just want, to leave, I just want everyone to leave me alone and not have to be bothered by anyone or bother anybody, I just want to, that's godless. You start thinking. And it's not just gross perversion, it's I want people to like me. That's loving the world because you want the world to love you. The battle lines are drawn inside of you This is why the Apostle Paul is always talking about this kind of thing, right? For though we walk in the flesh, we do not, that means just in the body, we do not war according to the flesh. We don't use swords and guns and tanks in our spiritual warfare. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful, the destruction of fortresses. What do you mean, Paul? Well, we're destroying speculations. What's a speculation? So it's a, it's, a, it's a way of thinking. It's an idea, right? We're destroying ideas, speculations. And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every what? Thought captive to the obedience of Christ. This battle, the battle lines are drawn primarily inside of you. This is why, again, Colossians 2. See to it that no one takes you captive, so this is battle, right? Through philosophy, and empty deception. According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary th- principles of the world rather than according to Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive with ideas, with ways of thinking. That's where it starts. That's where the, both the corruption and the transformation start. All right? And so the battle lines are drawn inside of you for sure. But listen, there, the effects of that battle always spill over to the outside. Okay, there is, a, there is a course of this world. There's a manner of living that is the natural outworking of the assumptions, assumptions and philosophies of the world. So yeah, it does work its way out. I have time for that, skip on. Well, look, what is... 
being worldly, what is loving the world, it works itself out. Look at Demas, right? Make every, this is the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy. Make every effort to come to me soon for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. All right, so the, the love, the inner stuff, thinking like the world, I don't like this conflict, I don't like being around with Paul because Paul's always in trouble and people are always wanting to kill him or something. I don't want that. I want people to, right? Leads to an outward act of deserting him. Always, always works that way. Loving the world can stain you. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in the distress and to keep yourself unstained by the world. And so look back at Romans 12. Uh, that's not it. There we go. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You see this? The inside and the outside are completely bound together. Either our worldliness or our godliness will in fact out. And this is why it's so foolish for people of all ages, right? To think I can... It goes both ways. I cannot be worldly if I, if I just don't look like that or do certain things that are on the bad list. Well, that has nothing to do with whether you're worldly or not. Or I can be godly and yet, you know, dress this way and act this way and talk this way. And No, you can't. They are connected. So worldliness is thinking like the world. It's taking for granted the assumptions of unbelievers. It's being impressed with what God's enemies are impressed with. It's giving your trust and affection and love to what opposes God. It's wanting to be loved by those who oppose God. Friendship with the world is hostility to God. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. There is no neutral ground. We either embrace the character and commands of God or we're shaped by the character and commands of the world. One reason that the church... I'm done here in just two minutes. One reason that the church is so worldly today is that we believe in the so-called sacred-secular divide. All right, this is why the church is so worldly. It's weird. The church is worldly because we have put up a firewall between the church and the world. And you, but you can't do that. All right? And so we believe today that the majority of life in this world has literally nothing to do with, with Scripture and nothing to do with God. So when I taught a worldview class at a uh, Christian school here in town to high school seniors, I gave them this worldview assessment test at the beginning of the year. All right. Actually, I'd like to talk to Philip about having you guys take this. I think it would be very helpful to you. Um, I gave them this worldview assessment test. And all of them responded like either secular humanists or Marxists. I'm serious. And these are seniors in a Christian school. And their way of thinking had been more shaped by the world and by the media and by the, everything they're consuming, that pressure pushing them down into the world's uh, mold 
had been, they had been shaped by that stuff because why? Well, because the Bible doesn't have anything to do with, you know, politics and civil law and entertainment and food and music and plumbing and public policy and economics and the Bible doesn't have anything to do with that. So how am I supposed to think about that stuff? Well, I don't know, but the Bible doesn't have anything to say about it. So I guess I have to listen to Fox News and they'll tell me how to think about it. Or whatever, pick, pick your poison. And I do mean poison, pick it. Because if the Bible is out of, out of bounds for all that stuff, then you are going to think like the world. And in thinking like the world, you'll be conformed to the image of the world. And then we'll raise up a gen- generation after generation who are conformed to this world. Okay, one more slide and I'm done. Parents, either the world will catechize your children or you will. The world will catechize your children if you don't. Oh, the world is absolutely catechizing your children constantly. So this, this is actually wrong. The world will catechize your children. And all of our work with our children has to fight against the world's catechism. The problem is the world's catechism comes with big screens, right, and little screens, and slick music and all the authority and appeal and plausibility of the rich and the famous and the highly educated. Well, there's a whole lot more to say, but we have to be done, all right? Let's pray. Dear Father, please help us, forgive us for loving the world and for being, wanting to be the friend of the world, wanting to be conformed to the world, or just not even thinking that we are. Please forgive us. Please, Lord, give us um, wisdom and love for you and save us and rescue us from this kind of destruction that comes from this. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.